Comedian John Mulaney, in his Netflix special, Kid Gorgeous, at Radio City, does a, a lengthy bit about what it was like growing up in the church. Now, his background happened to be Roman Catholic, but I think that, that his experience is, to a, a degree, fairly universal for many who grew up going to church and, and what it can be like trying to explain to, to those who are unfamiliar with church what it's like. Now, forgive me, I'm paraphrasing his routine here, but in describing the worship service, and specifically the homily or sermon, he says this. Well, then there's the homily. Now, the homily is when the priest does a book report that is also stand-up comedy. It normally begins with a charming anecdote that is fake and never happened. Something like, a woman was shopping at a mall with her young son. Now, you'll come to find out that neither the woman nor the shopping mall in the story have any name. The story doesn't have a lot of details, which is not very impressive given that the priest has had all week to work on this and has had the book for 2,000 years. <laughs> Mulaney goes on with the routine describing more of the service, but I'll, I'll stop there. His point is, of course, that that the priest's stories were of a dubious nature, lacking any real details that could be disputed later. That is not what we have here in the book of Luke. The passage that, that Chandler read for us just a, a moment ago, it's not short on details. And it is not vague in, in, in any way or in any sense of the word. and In fact, the gospel writer here goes out of their way to communicate that, that they're not telling some kind of charming anecdote without a lot of details. Here are just these first couple of verses. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration that was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke Luke, at the very outset of his description of the birth of Jesus Christ, sets the story in a very, very specific place, in the midst of a specific people, and within a very specific historical context. The gospel writer places it in a remote corner of the Roman Empire at a, at a particular time, in the midst of particular people. Immediately, the writer wants us to know that, that they are not paraphrasing a, a charming anecdote. The writer does not want to leave it to us, to the reader, to decide if, if they're mythologizing or allegorizing or seeking to teach some moral lesson. Luke seeks to relay a historical event. Luke seeks to relay this story about a birth. And it is a birth that happens in spite of our best efforts to tell it differently, rather simply. 
Now, now you may say, but Nick, well, you know, what about the, the wise men and, and the angels? We'll get to that. We'll get to the wise men and, and we'll get to the angels. But, but what I'm talking about here is, is the birth, the actual birth. It's a birth that happens like this. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. This birth that happens in a, in a small, quiet, dark place, even perhaps a, a cave with little fanfare, no more than, than a few shepherd visitors that stop by. For all the pomp and circumstance that we give it, for, for all of the, the masterpieces that have been painted, produced, depicting this scene, for the, for the vast array of musical pieces that have been written, for all of the sweetly performed pageants over the course of centuries, like the one we, we saw in here just a few hours ago by our children's choir. This is it. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth. If you've ever heard a new parent give the play-by-play of the birth of their infant, in comparison, you might assume that they've just observed the second coming. They put Luke to shame in describing the event. An event that Luke tells in, in just a handful of words. Our recreations, on the other hand, our depictions of what happened that night borrow from scenes from all over the Gospels. We, we grab the angels from the, from the fields where the shepherds were and, and we pull them into the manger scene. On your way out tonight, you'll notice a depiction of exactly that at the back of the sanctuary. Angels in the air, we grab the star from the book of Matthew and we put it in the sky right above where the baby is born. We take the wise men and we scatter them about the same scene, although nearly all scholars agree that the wise men didn't show up until two, three years later. It's interesting to me that, that we are the ones that mythologize. We are the ones that take the event and, and dress it up we're the ones that add the pomp and circumstance. Why is that, do you suppose? Perhaps we do this because in spite of the fact that there is little miraculous about the birth itself, for those who believe it, for those who believe it remains a profoundly miraculous event. I believe that, that in all of this, we seek to communicate the gravity of that night. And this is consistent with, 
with how we treat other events in our lives. We do this with other seminal events. We do this for weddings. We do this for birthdays, particularly for our young children. We do this in worship. Isn't this place beautiful? We go to great lengths to dress it up. In all of our efforts, be it decor, clothing, magnificent music, we we seek to communicate the profound nature of what we believe has happened or is happening. Whether at weddings or birthdays or worship. And with the Christmas story, we do this not, not heretically, but out of a desire to underscore the magnitude of this event that that simple as it may have been changed changes and is changing everything the event that for believers marks God's inbreaking into the world God extending God's hand across the cosmic void to be with us to say to you you are not alone In this mysterious moment that we call the incarnation, God becoming one of us. But friends, I also believe that God is at work in our celebrations, clumsy though they may be, God is at work in spite of our misunderstandings and misguided attempts to get it right. And maybe you are here this evening. Maybe maybe you find yourself in a lonely, dark place this Christmas. Maybe you are in the midst of of an unexpected diagnosis still grappling with the loss of a loved one, seeking to better understand who God has created you to be. Maybe you find yourself looking for some sign that God is at work. You've been looking for some pomp and circumstance. You're waiting for the angels. Know this tonight. What God does, God often does in the quiet, dark places with little fanfare. The lack of angels in your own lives and and all of the stuff, it's not a sign that you've been left there in the dark because it is precisely in those kinds of places where God breaks in and where Christ is. Is born. As for our depictions of the Christmas story, at the end of the day, I'm okay with getting some of the details wrong, and, and I vote we keep the angels. Either way, in this particular place, in our 
particular time, amongst these particular people, God is at work. And Christ is born. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Merry Christmas. And it was at another ordinary moment that God reaches out to us at a table. And the routine of eating, that God prepares a table for each of us. And and this is not a, a Presbyterian table but rather a table that is open to all that would claim that Christ is Lord. Would you pray with me? It is right and our joy, Creator, to give you thanks and praise. You have given life to every living thing and made us in your image. In the fullness of time, you sent your Son to be Emmanuel, God with us. He was born to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. In him, we have seen your glory. He lived for you, spoke your truth, and showed your love. Lavished with gifts from the Magi, he gave his life for others. Baptized by John in the Jordan, he poured out his mercy for all. And turning water into wine at a wedding, he transformed sorrow into joy. In his death on the cross, he overcame death. Rising from the tomb, he raised us to eternal life and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. In this feast, make us one with you and with each other. Inflame us with your spirit, that we may be united in ministry in every place. We pray in the name of the triune God. Amen. Amen. We have been told, we have been taught, But just hours before he would be portrayed, Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room. And in that meeting, he took the bread, gave thanks to God for it, and then gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, this is my life given for you. In a similar way, he took the cup and once again spoke to his disciples, saying, This is my blood. This is my life poured out for you. Take this bread. Take this cup. And remember me. Tonight, we too are invited and welcomed at his table. Take this bread, take this cup, and remember him.